Psalm 38 is the third of seven penitential psalms in the Psalter. Now, don't confuse the terms penitential with penance or with repentance. Penance is the attempt to atone for one's sin with some self-sacrifice, most often self-punishment. That's penance. Repentance is the act of turning away from something to another thing. For example, turning from unbelief to belief or from turning from self to the Savior. That's repentance. But then there's penitential. It describes the attitude and the expressions of confession over sin. And that is what we will read of in Psalm 38, a penitential psalm. Psalm 38 is one of seven penitential psalms or confession psalms. Those penitential psalms are Psalm 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. Of course, the most familiar penitential psalm to us is Psalm 51, David's prayer of confession after his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. But the penitential psalms have been used over the centuries by both the Jews and New Testament Christians as part of their personal and public liturgy. That is, using the language of these penitential psalms in, in, in their own prayers of confession and repentance. In this case, Psalm 38 is titled, To Bring to Remembrance. You see it there as the heading or the title. Perhaps your English translation might read, For a, re- a Memorial. And this is a prayer intended to serve as a historic case study for God's people to use across all generations in the future. And I've written there at the top of your notes what I've prepared for you, a copy is there in the foyer. It's as if David is saying this in Psalm 38. David is saying, remember. Remember my sin. David is saying, remember my repentance. Remember my situation and learn from it. And perhaps even today we can be instructed in our situations or in our circumstances by remembering David's experience many millennia ago. And we can be mindful of the principles that are taught here in this penitential psalm. And we too, like David, then can be men after God's own heart. I'd like to begin this evening with the reading of Psalm 38. You say, but pastor, we've read so much scripture already this evening. Do you feel like that? Well, why did you come, right? That's what we do here. And we want the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. We make no apology for the reading of Holy Scripture. Follow as I read Psalm 38, and then we'll pray before we unpack the psalm. Psalm 38, a psalm of David to bring to remembrance or for a memorial. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply, your hand presses me down. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I'm troubled, I'm bowed down greatly, I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are full of inflammation and there is no soundness in my flesh. I'm feeble and severely broken, I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before you, my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pants, 
My strength fails me. As for the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my relatives stand afar off. Those also who seek my life lay snares for me. Those who seek my hurt speak of destruction and plan deception all the day long. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear. And I am like a mute who does not open his mouth. Thus I am like a man who does not hear and whose mouth is no response. For in you, O Lord, I hope you will hear, O Lord my God. For I said, hear me, lest they rejoice over me, lest when my foot slips they exalt themselves against me. For I am ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. I will declare my iniquity. I will be in anguish over my sin. But my enemies are vigorous and they are strong, and those who hate me wrongfully have multiplied. Those also who render evil for good, they are my adversaries because I follow what is good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Let me pray. God in heaven, we have spent these moments together reading the Holy Scripture and singing hymns and and songs that reference that Scripture. Lord, our minds and our hearts are already full and, and overflowing, but now we come to this psalm, a penitential psalm, a psalm or a prayer of confession and contrition. And Lord, this has been preserved for us in your holy word as a remembrance, as a a memorial, and I pray that you would use it to then instruct us just now so that we might follow David's example in the confession of our sin. So God, we commit our study to you now in Jesus' name I pray, amen. In Psalm 38, David is saying this, number one in your notes, David is saying, remember, remember that sin brings consequences. And the consequences of our sin begin with letter A, God's righteous anger. And, and I title this, subpoint letter A, God's righteous anger to qualify that his anger is, is right. You see, in his perfection, God's anger is right anger. Psalm 7 verse 11 says, God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. It also follows then that we would also experience and express righteous anger. In fact, Ephesians 4.26 tells us to be angry, but not to sin. Righteous anger is anger over what is wrong, what is sinful, what is wicked, transgression, and it is right, therefore, to be angry. Okay, what does God's righteous anger look like? It's found in verses 1 and 2. Again, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure, for your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. My New King James translates the end of verse number one as hot displeasure. If you carry the New American Standard, the end of verse one says burning anger. And the poetic language here likens it to the eruption of a volcano. In fact, Alexander McLaren, who was a a Scottish Baptist pastor some 150 years ago, he called God's wrath here in verse number one like bubbling lava, hot bubbling lava. There in verse number two, God's anger is described as arrows that pierce deeply. And the heaviness of God's hand that crushes down upon David heavily. David said the very same thing in Psalm 32, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Now, 
Positionally, Romans 8, verse number one, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God's wrath was satisfied by Jesus' sacrifice that we are, so that we are accepted in him and we don't have to fear any future damnation, but nonetheless, God will chasten us as his children. And David understood the painful consequences of his sin as being from the hand of God. Look at verses three and four again. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, your righteous anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. Now, the Bible would caution us not to assume that every sickness or every sorrow in our human experience is caused by by, by um, by God for our sin. There are times that, that our calamity is a divine consequence for sin, but there are many times that our calamity is not a divine consequence for our sin. Sometimes it's the natural consequence of our sin. If I drink and drive, I may injure myself or others around me. So it's a faulty reasoning to automatically identify every painful consequence as a divine consequence for sin. It may be a natural consequence of sin. And I would cite the book of Job, of course, the entire story of Job. I would also reference John chapter 9, where the disciples asked Jesus about the man born blind. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And Jesus said, neither. That's not the point. However, in this case, in Psalm 38 as well, in Psalm 32, and in Psalm 51, David recognizes that his suffering was, in fact, the consequence of his sin, the divine consequence of his sin, for God's anger was right in this case. God's anger was righteous and was manifested to him. Look at verse 3 again. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long for my loins are full of inflammation. There is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. And so the painful consequence of David's sin was first God's righteous anger. Secondly, letter B, man's real anguish. Man's real anguish. And there are three categories that I've identified as I read these verses first. Number one, personal regrets. Personal regret was part of David's real consequence, his anguish. At the end of verse three, you see it there? At the end of verse number five, David admits to his wrongdoing. In verse three, he calls it my sin, the end of verse five, he calls it my foolishness. And we understand the designation of sin. We should always be willing to call sin, sin. In fact, use the biblical language. Yeah, sorry I messed up. No, you didn't mess up, you sinned. Yeah, I dropped the ball. No, you didn't drop the ball, you sinned. Well, I, I could have done better. No, you sinned. And David acknowledges his sin. He says, I sinned. He also then uses the term foolishness. And sometimes we think of foolishness as something less than sin, for children behave foolishly or the opposite of wisely. Foolishness isn't so bad. Well, it is the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. 
Psalm 14, verse 1. And the ultimate foolishness is a practical atheism in which behaves as if God doesn't see or God doesn't know because maybe God doesn't exist to hold one accountable. Foolishness says I can live how I want to live because I don't think God can do anything to stop me. So for that reason, Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And and David here is expressing personal regret. I've sinned, I have played the fool, and I regret that is his spirit. Verse six, I am troubled, I am bowed down greatly, I go mourning all the day long. Verse number eight, I am feeble, severely broken, I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. I would call this number two, personal grief. There's personal regret, verses three and five, personal grief in verses six and eight. And once again, this echoes what David wrote of in Psalm 32 when he admitted to his groaning all the day long. However, the word groaning here does not imply an internal utterance that we might make after after hearing a dad joke. Do you groan when you hear a dad joke or a bad pun? We groan, or perhaps we we groan internally with a groan of resignation. That's not what's being described here. The groan here in Psalm 38 is the external roar of one who is loudly wailing in their grief. In fact, one Hebrew scholar has rendered the end of verse number eight in in this way. I have roared beyond the roaring of a lion. That's the groaning in grief. Verse number seven, for my loins are full of inflammation, there is no soundness in my flesh. We don't know exactly what David is describing here. Some have suggested this might be a reference to his kidneys, maybe kidney stones, maybe kidney disease. Others have taken it in a more general sense of what we might call number three, personal sickness. There's personal regret, personal grief, personal sickness. And and what is curious to me is that whatever real anguish that David is suffering here, the historical books of the Old Testament that report on David's life. So think with me, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st Chronicles, those historical books in the Old Testament that report to us of David's life are silent about David's sickness. Why is that, I wonder? Could it be that the royal scribes felt that they didn't have the liberty to reveal some of these things in the official record? Perhaps they wanted to keep these things off the record, top secret, if you will, classified information about David's sickness. And I can imagine that after King David's annual physical, the doctor's public press release might have been something like this. King David is healthy and vigorous. Perhaps you can catch my reference to our own president's annual physical exam just a couple weeks ago. Healthy and vigorous. On the other hand, now David himself is compelled to reveal the reality of his condition. David is saying, I'm not well. I'm sickly. And I want to memorialize this for future generations to remember. David, under inspiration of the Spirit of God, is saying, you all need to know I'm not well with personal regret 
personal grief, personal sickness. This is the painful consequence of sin. God's righteous anger and real anguish. Sin brings consequences. Number two, remember, remember that not only does sin bring painful consequences, number two, sin brings, or sin causes, number two, relational separation. Sin causes relational separation. Look at verses nine and 10. Lord, all my desire is before you, and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pants, my strength fails me, as for the light of my eyes, it is also gone from me. Letter A, spiritual separation. Spiritual separation, you say, but pastor, in what way is spiritual separation described in these verses? When we sin, our natural instinct is to withdraw from God. That's what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, remember? Upon their sin, they hid themselves from God. We shrink away from communion with God to conceal our shame. We move away. At the same time, God also withdraws from us. Isaiah 59 verse two says that our sin separates us from our God. Habakkuk 1.13 says God is of purer eyes than to behold evil. He cannot look on wickedness. And so we have this spiritual separation. But now here in Psalm 38, David is acknowledging that God still sees and knows David's sin. It's not hidden from God, no matter the separation. And in his faint desperation, David longs. His desire is for God. I would reference Psalm 42, verses one and two. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And you understand Psalm 30, or Psalm 42 and, and 43, that there are times when we are distressed by sin and God seems distant. He, he seems a million miles away. And the, our Bible reading is a blur and our, our prayer is, is hollow and our worship is shallow and we desire or we long for the times when we enjoyed fellowship with him. But it goes beyond spiritual separation. Sometimes that's a bit abstract or metaphysical. There's also, secondly, let her be there, social separation. Social separation. Verses 11 and 12. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my relatives stand afar off. Those also who seek my life lay snares for me. Those who seek my hurt speak of destruction and plan deception all the day long. Now, There in verse number 11, David describes a scenario that sounds foreign to us. Look at verse 11 and, and follow this. What sickness or what disease would compel one's loved ones, one's friends, to separate themselves from a person? Most often, the the opposite is the, the case. When you're ill, when you're sick, when you're laid up, perhaps in in the hospital, your your friends come to you. Why in this case are David's friends and family withdrawing from him? What sickness or disease would compel the sick to groan in verse number eight or roar when those family and friends drew near? What sickness or disease would demand separation from one's family and friends. 
I'm giving you a lot of hints here. In the ancient world, in the biblical world, it was the sickness or the illness of leprosy. In fact, in verse number 11, the word that's translated plague in most of our English Bibles, perhaps wounds in the the New International Version, it's the same word used in the Old Testament to describe leprosy. Now follow this. Had David not been the king of Israel, if David would have been an average citizen in Israel, he would have been driven from the camp, outside the camp, and been forced to cry, unclean, unclean, whenever someone would approach, if he indeed had leprosy. And once again, I think the silence among those who chronicled the records of the kings in ancient Israel's day couldn't bring themselves to record or report that David may have had leprosy. They, they certainly likened it to leprosy, and there, there might have been an ancient political cover-up by David's staff or his handlers. It was David himself who had to reveal this in this psalm. As a consequence of his sin, there was personal separation spiritually and socially. Why socially? Because whatever physical disease or sickness he had, his family and friends were aloof. Look at verses 13 and 14. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear. I am like a a mute who does not open his mouth. Thus I am like a man who does not hear and whose mouth is no response. Now, Now think about the tragedy of this. David is the prolific songwriter of Israel. And he is not hearing the music He is not writing the songs. He has nothing to say. Folks, sin puts us in a place where we cannot enjoy the relationships that we would otherwise enjoy. And sin destroys the sweet communion we can have with the Lord. It destroys communication with one another. There is separation, spiritual separation, social separation. We we could add a third, an emotional separation in in that that you you, you can't hear and you, you can't speak. He's gravely ill. Let's pick up in verse 15. For in you, O Lord, I hope. You will hear, O Lord, my God. For I said, hear me, lest they rejoice over me. Lest when my foot slips, they exalt themselves against me. David is anticipating his own demise here. For I am ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. I will declare my iniquity. That's a spiritual virtue. I have sinned. I am guilty. I will be in anguish over my sin. That's, that's where I got uh, Roman numeral number one, uh, subpoint letter B, man's real anguish, this, this anguish over my sin. But my enemies are vigorous and they are strong and those who hate me wrongfully have multiplied. Those also who render evil for good, they are my adversaries because I follow what is good. Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. Again, this separation. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Number one, remember that sin brings painful consequences. Number two, remember that sin causes relational separation. Number three, remember this psalm is for a memorial. Remember, number three, that sin demands Repentant supplication. Repentant supplication. 
Now let's take each of these terms in turn. First, let's start with supplication. Where is David's supplication found in these verses? How about verses 15 and 16? Look there, verses 15 and 16. We cry out to God because he will hear. How about verses 21 and 22? We cry out to God for he will help. God will hear, God will help. This is our supplication, but it's repentant supplication. Let's look for repentance. Where is David's repentance found in these verses? How about verse 18? I love the ESV rendering here, verse 18. It says it so plainly. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. Folks, what do do we know about the confession of sin? What do we know about what I am calling here repentant supplication? Jot in your margin, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David understood that long before the apostle John penned it in 1 John 1, verse number nine. Now, many times the key to remembering a thing is the repetition of that thing. If I need to remember a matter, I need to repeat that matter over and over again to myself. When when I've helped my children memorize their Bible verses or their spelling words or their math facts, we go over them again and again and again until they, they will never forget. Psalm 38 is a psalm of remembrance. It's a memorial so that its truths are never forgotten. So this evening I read Psalm 38 at the beginning of our study. Then we've read Psalm 38 again as we sought to understand each part. And now I want to read Psalm 38 for a third time this evening in a, in a very creative way. I'm gonna ask Pastor Jeremy, if you'll come, there's a microphone here on the front row. Pastor Jeremy, you sit there and prepare yourself. I'm gonna read one verse at a time. Not all of them, but selected verses through Psalm 38, and I want you to follow in your copy of the scripture. I'm gonna ask Pastor Jeremy to read another brief scripture in an antiphonal way as I read and he reads and I reads uh, and I read that, that speaks to the very same theme, but it's gonna point us to Jesus. Okay, now follow this. Remember that while we were suffering the terminal sickness of our sin, while we were yet sinners, Romans 5, 8, Christ died for the ungodly. And I think we would be remiss at the conclusion of this penitential psalm to not look to Jesus. And so this is how we read the psalms. First, we read the psalms, we we read of real people with real circumstances, Then we read the psalm again. We read it to find words and language to express our own contrition and and our own confession in those same real circumstances. And then we can read it a third time in light of Christ. And we can read the psalm remembering the answer to our real circumstances is the reality of Jesus Christ. And so as you hear me read Psalm 38 now, and you identify with the psalmist in your own experience, reflect on the answer to these things in Christ as you hear Pastor Jeremy's voice as well. You have the Bible open before you, Psalm 38, verse number one. 
O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Verse 2. For your arrows pierce me deeply, your hand presses me down. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Verse 3. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Verse 4, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Verse 9, Lord, all my desire is before you, and my sighing is not hidden from you. Jesus said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Verse 10. My heart pants. My strength fails me. As for the light of my eyes, it is also gone from me. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Verse 11. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague. My relatives stand afar off. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. The disciples all left him and fled. Verse 12. Those also who seek my life lay snares for me. Those who seek my hurt speak of destruction and plan deception all the day long. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. The crowd kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. Those who passed by derided him. Verse 13, but I, like a deaf man, do not hear And I am like a mute who does not open his mouth. Thus I am like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth is no response. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Verse 15. For in you, O Lord, I hope you will hear, O Lord, my God. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Verse 21. Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God, be not far from me. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 22, make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death 
because it was not possible for him to be held by it. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Folks, Psalm 38 is about a man who suffered because of his sin. The gospel is about a man who suffered for sin, our sin. Peter wrote, for Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And perhaps this evening, you would confess that you have sinned in some way, and you know that you're suffering because of it. What do you do? You confess your sin. You repent of your sin. You look to the one who can forgive you for your sin. We know these things theologically, academically, technically, but perhaps we need to also experientially seek the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, not just positionally but practically in confession of sin before the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God in heaven, we remember. We remember David's sin and his confession and contrition and repentance over it. Lord, Psalm 38 does serve us well as a memorial for all generations, as a model for how we might lay our sin on Jesus. Thank you for your mercy, your grace, your long-suffering, your compassion, and for your forgiveness. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.